Coming up on today's show. I think we are probably one of the only bands in history where we signed a record deal and we recorded the whole album. And then after doing that, we met our first person from the label. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Be sure you are on the list for the weekly e-newsletter. Yes, I am aware that a lot of people are trying to get you to join their mailing list. That's because those folks want to bombard you to the point where you ultimately are going to hit the unsubscribe button. I am happy to report, proud to say, that I only send out once a week, that's it, on Wednesday, when a new episode of this show comes out. So make sure you're signed up to receive that, for free, by the way, to your inbox. If you're not already getting it, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and pop your email address into the sign-up box. I do publish exclusives in there from time to time, so don't miss out. I love hearing from listeners of this show. You can write to podcast at nhte.net. Or instead of email, you're welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York City, my guest is a singer, songwriter, and the guitarist for the indie rock band King Falcon. This past Friday, they released an 11-song self-titled album with mixing by a 12-time Grammy nominee. On August 30th, they had released a music video for one of the songs from it, with that video already having gotten over 60,000 views on YouTube. The band is currently touring, including a number of dates supporting Southern rock legends Saving Abel. In March and May of this year, they had released singles that are also off their new King Falcon album, with one of the songs peaking at number 5 on the Submodern Singles chart. My guest has built a truly impressive collection of one-of-a-kind guitars, each with its own story, which I will ask him about today. You've been hearing one of the songs from the band's new album, a track called Rabbit Gets the Gun. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Michael Rubin. Hey Bruce, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, you bet. I know this is a busy time with the new album having just come out and all the live shows that the band is playing, so thank you so much for making time to talk with me today. Let's get started by having you share with the audience about the song that was just playing called Rabbit Gets the Gun. Sure. So Rabbit Gets the Gun actually has a pretty funny story. Um, We flew out to Nashville to do a couple of writing sessions. uh, And weirdly enough, we showed up to one and they had already written a song for us, which is not a thing we normally do. So we spent some time working on that. We finished the demo and nobody was really happy with it. We were like, how about we just start something from scratch? Let's write something real quick in like 20 minutes. So we wrote Rabbit Gets the Gun, and we totally forgot about it until the first day um, that we started to record the album. Hmm. Then uh, we went back and listened to the demos, and we stopped on Rabbit Gets the Gun, and everybody was like, wait a second, how did we forget about that song? (laughs) So we spent a whole day kind of deep diving into it and just getting into the nitty-gritty. But but the message behind that song is the coolest thing. It's kind of this... um, inversion of power you know like the the rabbit getting the gun instead of the the hunter mm. um the, the little guy having the power as opposed to the the one that you traditionally kind of expect which is uh well we'll, we'll get into it later but it is a uh, it, it is one of the themes on the album wow i like that perspective but as much as i love letting the guest focus on the song that was playing i'm sorry to say that the thing that i picked up on in there was you saying we arrived and they had a song written for us, and that's not something that we normally do. So I'm not only interested just to hear this period, but this is also a potential teaching moment for any young artists out there that are coming up and hearing you say this. I wonder, Michael, since that's not really something that you look for, how did you react? How should one react in a situation like that? Well, again, everybody in the studio has feelings that you have to take into account for for sure. And, um, you know, it, it, it's customary, obviously, for, for sometimes you work with a new writer and, um, 
they kind of expect you to expect them to have a song done. Um, and they finish something before you get there. Uh, so I, I know that's probably pretty standard. It's just, um, you know, we're, we're a rock band and I've been writing songs my whole life. So I, if I am not part of the writing process personally, I feel, um, I don't know, I feel a little bit removed from the song. It has to be kind of about something personal. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just kind of how I approach it. And again, um, you want to explore every avenue, you know, you never know if you start working on a song that somebody has already written for you and then you get another idea from it. Uh. Um, but again, personally, I, I just, uh, I, I like to be part of the process and, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to have somebody else write songs for me. Well, and I guess the other side of it is if that person kind of avails themselves to the fact that I can't be so close-minded and think, I wrote this song, take it or leave it, it could be a collaboration where maybe you say to yourself, this isn't something that I normally do, but meaning that you hear something that you think, okay, well, this part kind of has my interest, and then you do get the artistic license to come forward and say, what if we tried this? Or I was thinking more something that sounds and marry the two. So I think there is, you know, the potential for a happy medium there, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, one of our biggest things that we stick to in the studio is you have to be ready to, um, quote-unquote, kill your babies. Um, Meaning if you have a part of a song or a riff or something that you really like and it's just not working, you have to be totally okay to nix it. And if that's the whole song and you got to start over from scratch, sometimes you got to do that too. Mm. And other times, like in the case of Rabbit, you just got to crank out a whole song in 20 minutes and then forget <laughs> about it and come back later and think, wow, that was actually a pretty good song. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't even send it to the label. Um, and then we, we sent it to the label again the day of the, the first the first day of recording. And they were like, well, how come you guys didn't send this to us? <laughs> this song's killer. <laughs> Never mind why we didn't. It's a great song, isn't it? <laughs> Covering up that we forgot all about it. Well, congratulations on the new album. Before we get into all the production aspects of it, share with us first about the theme of the album and especially for those just being introduced to King Falcon for the first time, what the style is throughout these 11 songs. Sure. So I always say we are a New York rock band, and um, being from New York means that you have to be no-nonsense and you have to be right to the point. And I think our music is kind of the same way. It's all about the songwriting. There's a lot of hooks, uh, but there's also a lot of musicality, but but not overly so. You know, it's not uh, nine-minute-long guitar solos or anything like that. It's all very kind of smart and, and uh, purposeful. And all of the lyrics are really about our experiences. But I think the song that comes out with the album, Everybody's Down, um, that's the one that identifies most uh, clearly what the record is about, which is us believing in this whole music thing when nobody else does and sticking with it anyway. Mm. And that song is for anybody else out there that kind of um, just believes in something so fully and so heartily that no, nothing else is going to um, take them off of that track. You know, So that's, uh, that's what Everybody's Down is about. So let's have another teaching moment here. There's 11 songs on the album. So, Michael, how does a band, how does a writer, how does an artist carry a theme throughout an album when there's 11 songs that, is it, I guess what I'm getting at is, is there such a thing as getting too caught up in, gee, the whole album is supposed to be about this, but this song doesn't really fit that theme, and that's where you go back to, look, we just said, if it's a great song, like let's record it. Or is it, no, Bruce, if you're going to tell people this is the theme of the album, it's got to fit with that theme? Well, I think it depends. Uh, you know, if you're writing a concept album like Pink Floyd The Wall or, or you know, like Pinball Wizard or, 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 or Tom, uh, sorry, Tommy, uh, that, that, that's the one by the who, my bad. Um, you know, you, you kind of have to be a little bit more direct on theme, but I think for... Um, King Falcon's first album this is really our introduction to the world so it, it was more about making sure the songs were good and, and the songwriting was there but the message was really that we, we we have something to say with every single song and every single song is a reflection of a, of a story that we experienced mm. in the formation of this band which was very easy for us to do because it was just stuff that we lived you know okay. we didn't have to think too hard about it okay I like that I like that so then let's dive into the behind the scenes stuff share with the audience who produced the album as well as the highly acclaimed individual who mixed it and plus where this was recorded and over what period of time all those details Sure. 
So the guy who produced the album is Marshall Altman, and he's a killer producer. He's also produced Kenny Wayne Shepherd, a, a bunch of other big artists. The guy who mixed the album is one of my favorites, uh, Mark Needham. Uh, one of my favorites that he's done is uh, Hot Fuss by The Killers, which is a hugely influential record for me. Big fan of The Killers, so it was amazing that we could get him to work on the record. We actually recorded the record in one single week. Mm. Now, I will say the writing process was much longer. We started with 50 songs that we wrote over the course of like eight months. Wow. Uh, and then we whittled that down to our favorite 11, uh, which was kind of hard to do. Again, you know, Kill Your Babies. There's there's 40 other songs just about that we all really dug that we had to kind of mix to land on these 11. Um, but maybe we'll go back to those some, someday. I'm not sure. Um, but we recorded the whole album in one week. And we did it at our own studio. So James, our bass player, has been um, he's been an audio engineer his whole life. He went to school for it, and he's been building a studio that started off in his mom's garage when he was like 12 or 13 years old. And, and we've been building it together for the last 10 years. And uh, now it's it's kind of a proper space with two rooms, and that's where we do all of our recordings, actually. Mm. Well, again, shame on me that instead of focusing like I did earlier with Rabbit Gets the Gun, I kind of went away from that. Instead of focusing on the 11 songs, I want to focus on the 39 that didn't make it because you've said a couple times now about having to be willing to kill the baby. It's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to actually do it. How difficult is that to whittle down from 50 to 11, knowing that you may have a real strong passion for one song or two songs or three songs and don't want those to be the ones that fall by the wayside? You know, it's 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 easier than it sounds. Uh, I think you naturally gravitate to some songs, and and again, this being our first record, of those forty, a lot of them were experimental. I mean, some of them were a little bit on the heavier side, some of them were a little bit on the pop side. We got one that was like kind of a funky jam with like horns and stuff in it, completely different sound. So, the course of writing those songs really helped us um, define what the band is supposed to sound like, or at least what we think it's supposed to sound like. And obviously it'll evolve for the second album. We've already been cooking that up for the last few months. Um, but this one really had to kind of set the bar for what we sound like. So it's interesting to think about the three of you in the band talking about which songs should be left off the album because I make no secret about the fact that my all-time favorite band was always Rush. And one thing that Rush would always talk about is the fact that it was so good that there was an odd number of band members because you never have to worry about a tie if there's a vote. And here I am about to ask you, was it just the three of you lopping off which song should not be on it? Or if Marshall was involved because he was the producer, well, now I'm thinking, well, that's four people and there could be a tie vote. Um, no, it was it was really the three of us. Uh, and it was less about lopping off songs and more about saying, okay, we've got about 42 minutes. Uh, 42 to 45 minutes that we need to work with. Which songs do we absolutely have to have in mm. those 42 minutes? Um, and, you, you know, you kind of put one song up against the next and you're like, ah, it's going to be this one for me. And you kind of just keep doing it that way. So it's less about cutting the 40 and more about picking your favorite 11, which is kind of a glass half full way of looking at it, I think. Yeah, I like that, though. I see that, especially when you say you draw the comparison, this song or this song, there are going to be a lot of cases where you're going, well, clearly, I mean, come on, it's it's this one. Let's move on. Michael, your new album is on Mascot Records, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is a label that features some real heavyweights, names like Joe Bonamassa, Kenny Wayne Shepard, by the way, audience. He was the guest on the Milestone 500th episode of this show seven weeks ago. Mascot Records also has Brian Setzer, Robin Trower, a bunch of others. Michael, at a time when a lot of indie artists want to say, oh, I don't need a label, I can do just fine on my own, how much does that help having a pretty notable label like that get behind you for this album release? Well, it helps a lot, for sure. I mean, it gives um, us that kind of stamp of approval right away where people kind of give us a second look. And also Mascot in particular, like you said, um, all those people you mentioned are guitar players. So for me, as primarily a guitar player, it was really exciting to be on a label that represents a whole bunch of other legendary guitar players. Is there any, I don't want to say trepidation, but to think, yikes, we're being signed to a label that has these heavyweights to it. In other words, does it add pressure to you when we know that when a band puts out its first official full-length album, there's pressure enough to begin with, but do you kind of 
add that layer and say, oh my gosh, and Mascot Records is going to be pinning a lot on us for this release? I wouldn't call it pressure. Um, it was more knowing that there are so many other guitar players who are amazing guitar players on this label um, and the chance that they might actually hear our music kind of pushed me to make sure that all the guitar playing was killer. <laughs> and obviously I was going to do that anyway, but I always had to give everything a second look and, and be like, oh, you know, if Kenny Wayne heard this, would he think, man, that's a cool riff? You know, so that, that definitely passed through my mind once or twice. Um, but the other thing is that we are the only alt-rock band that Mascot has on the label. Everybody's a little bit more active rock, a little bit more blues rock, so we're kind of in our own genre that nobody else, at least on our label, is on. Well, and you have to like that because, let's be honest, from a business standpoint, you think, okay, so now that gives them something new. It gives them a new marketing muscle to flex. So we are in a position where we can get a little bit, or at least have the potential to get a little bit more I don't like to use the word exposure, but just to advance the conversation, as opposed to being on a label where, no, we've got nine other bands like you. Yes? Yeah, totally, 100%. Check this out, audience. The King Falcon official YouTube channel is closing in on a half million combined video views. Michael, I watched the music video for Rabbit Gets the Gun, the song we played during the intro. As I mentioned, already more than 60,000 views on that you guys looked like you had a lot of fun doing that. Talk about making that music video, not to mention others that you released this year for the two songs that I mentioned got released in March and May. You're definitely emphasizing the visuals for these releases. So for that matter, I wonder if there will be more too. Well, Everybody's Down has a video that you guys maybe have seen by now. Uh, we are obviously working on more all the time. You know what? I, I really like filming music videos. They're a lot of fun. And I think all the guys have a lot of fun. You could tell just by watching the video. Rabbit, uh, I will say, I absolutely got beat up in that video. <laughs> I, I I was covered in bruises the next day just because, you know, we wanted everything to look legit on camera, and we had to do a bunch of takes and stuff. And, uh, I mean, everybody that worked on that was, was really great. I mean, um, the, the actor who played um, kind of the, the hunter guy was a super nice guy. We hung out afterward, went went to dinner. And we're, we're all cool. We're good friends. We still stay in contact. Um, but that was such a great process. And uh, like, like I said, we flew down to St. Louis. And I remember I brought the rabbit suit with me and I forgot to make it dirty. So before we filmed the uh, music video, I had to basically put it on and go outside in the freezing cold <laughs> and roll around in the dirt for a little while. That was fun. Um, yeah, just all, all that kind of stuff. You know, like um, uh, the Ready, Set, Go music video, we spent eight hours running around New York City. And uh, I, honestly, it was one of the, the hardest workouts of my life. You know, mm. uh, Everybody's Down was probably one of the lightest videos to film um, because it was mostly just about the silhouette visual and less about um, going to a bunch of different locations like we usually do. Yeah, I've got a bunch of follow-up questions rushing into my head. Let me see if I can remember them all. Number one is, why St. Louis? Uh, there's a great videographer down there that we wanted to work with, uh, and they have that really cool, um, it's, it's a big light wall that we filmed, kind of like the stormy scenes in front of, and there's only a few of them in the world, uh, and one of them happened to be owned by a friend of ours in St. Louis. Ah, okay, okay. So these videos that you're making that we've been talking about, is this King Falcon deciding we need to do some videos and this is who we want to use? Or is there any part of it that Mascot Records, I don't want to say dictates, but maybe starts the conversation and, and works it down through the band and then to maybe they suggest here's who you should use? What does all that look like in terms of putting these together? Well, I will say the benefit of an indie label, um, it, as Mascot is, is they kind of stay out of the way. We've been pretty much in the driver's seat with all of our creative stuff. Uh, and all of the feedback that they have had has been more helpful and constructive rather than we think you guys should do it completely differently. You know, it's been more, well, maybe we change this scene here and maybe you, you know, do your hair a little differently like this, whatever. It, it, it's minor things. So we've, we've gotten some great feedback from them and, and they've caught some things that we may have missed in editing for sure. Um, but the vision and the um, aesthetic of all the videos really just comes from the guys. Uh, the guys meaning the band or the production company? Um, me, Tom, and James, the three of us. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, if if you told me, when we hire a production crew, Bruce, we let them do what they specialize in, we're not going to get in their way, I was going to say, well, how much 
creative say do you have in the matter in terms of looking at well, a storyboard? I, I, I will say so that that is definitely true. Now it, it's a little bit like this, you know, if you you, you bring a, a a painter a painting and you describe what you want them to paint. I, I am not the painter myself. I'm not going to tell you which color to use and like the line should look like this. Mm. You know, like I, I, you do have to let the artist do their art. And the videographers that we work with are artists in their own right. So obviously, some of their vision on how it should look is is imparted on it. But you know, um, it, it's collaborative. Is there anything and folks in a little bit? I'm going to be giving out King Falcon's website, all their socials, things like that, and you're going to hear that they're just basically everywhere on social media these days. But, Michael, with regards to these music videos, is there an eye these days on making a music video and saying, let's not just think of YouTube, let's think of clips that we can pull out for shorts on Instagram or TikTok? Or is it, no, you just do the whole thing, and then when you do the social media post, you grab a clip, let's not overthink it? You know, i got to say, I've always been a fan of of long-form stuff. Um, you know, I always like listening to a, a vinyl record because it forces you to listen to the whole thing, you know, beginning to end. Um, I can't say that when we make our music videos, we really think about the individual clips. It's more about the journey of the video as a whole. However, um, if you shoot anything well enough and you get good angles, you'll get good content out of it. So mm. I think if you focus on making small content, you'll probably screw up the whole project. Mm. But if you focus on making a really quality project, you'll get good small things out of it. Well said. Well said. I like that. I like that. And in addition to the videos, let's talk about the touring that you're doing to support the new album. Starting November 24th in Las Vegas, you will do 10 shows, which will also include dates in Arizona, California, Oregon, Iowa, and Illinois. In the lead up to all those, it's 10 shows, mostly, mostly on the East Coast, supporting Saving Able, the first two of which you've already played Talk about all these live shows. So I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, um, but uh, those Saving Able dates are, are actually canceled, mm. uh, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened. Uh, I know that Saving Able takes it very seriously, and I know that they're they're working it out, however they are. However, um, we still have our own tour, uh, and we will be in... Uh, Michigan, we'll be in Ohio, and we'll be in Nashville. And that's going to be from November 1st until about the 12th. Ah, okay, okay. So is this going to be, we're just playing the 11 songs and that's it? Or if not, what else will you play in these shows? No, so our live shows are are totally different. Obviously, we play the songs that you know, uh, but we kind of reimagine the songs. Like, on the record, we've got a song called Set Me Free, and the recording of it's about two and a half, maybe three minutes long. The live version is six and a half minutes long. You know, wow. we've got a whole light show that we've designed and we've got a whole lot of extra things. And, um, you know, we get a little bit more daring with the musicianship. So if you know the songs and you like them on the record, you'll hear those hooks for sure. But you're going to see a whole lot more live because we're I mean, it's our stage and we have a, um, it's our space to create, you know, so you get to watch us do that live. And that's what's that's what separates the King Falcon show from the the record. So I'm excited. I, I love everything that you're talking about. Let's continue this conversation because what I'm picturing, and I want you to take over and please tell me if I'm wrong, but what I'm picturing is the three of you getting together in a rehearsal space somewhere and putting the show together and saying, this is how this three-minute song is going to come out to six and a half, and here's how we're going to do this song. Am I right, or how do you put all those together so that it is in the can by the time you hit the stage for the first time? So it's it's sort of iterative. Um, our very first gig that we ever played as King Falcon, we played the record in order of the record, exactly as it was note for note. Mm-hmm. And we sort of gauged everybody's reaction in the crowd to certain songs. Mm. And certain songs sound cool on a recording, you know, when you're listening at home by yourself. And other songs just have a certain energy live. So we sort of took note of which songs had a certain energy live and really focused on those Mm. and then rearranged our set to highlight those moments. Um, So it's really, like I said, it's an iterative design. You play a show, you you see how people react, you go and you rework the show. You play another one, you see how people react, and you just keep going like that. And I think we've played enough shows now where we got this set just about as good as it's going to get. Yeah, and I think the lesson here is 
that you're not making it up as you're on stage and saying, let's just improv on this song and see where we go with it. <laughs> no, because... That... Well, I will say we, we do leave sections that we, well, we leave sure. for, uh, like, usually solos are improvised sure. and things like that. Um, but, I mean, obviously the order of songs is not improvised and, and the light show is not improvised, but, yeah. but there are moments of improvisation. Yeah, but you're not going to write out the set list and say, let's just do whatever in each song tonight and see how it comes out. <laughs> There's just too much chaos. No, and if we had a bigger band, we could do that. Uh, we do use um, some backing tracks live because we do have uh, synths and, um, you know, like extra backup vocals and things that, that are pre-recorded. Um, but what I'd like to do at some point is, is literally have extra session musicians to cover all that mm. so that we can change arrangements on the fly. But again, we've got three guys in the band. If we were going to get the sound that we get on the record, we'd have to have seven or eight people on yeah. stage. yeah. Uh, before I give all these plugs for your website and the album and everything, I'm about to say that it's going to be released on vinyl on December 1st. Was that your idea? Was it Mascot Records always does that? Is it we want it in on vinyl and they do it anyways, so it's a happy marriage? Just w Where does the vinyl idea come from? It was both. I knew from the very beginning, even when I was a kid, at the second I picked up a guitar that I wanted something that I made on vinyl. Uh, it was kind of no question for me. And the funny thing is, we didn't even talk about it with Mascot. Um, we, we finished the record, and the first thing is they're like, hey, we're making CDs and vinyls. Everybody was like, great. I, I, and, and I was even happier when I found out that the vinyls were going to be white uh, because it kind of matches the album cover, and it's this really slick, you know, white record with the white album cover and then the, the, the bold crown right in the center. So I can't wait. I, I haven't even gotten mine yet. I'm so excited. <laughs> They it. sent me the CDs, but I was like, come on, man, it's my record. Send me a vinyl. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, there will be a, an excited unboxing video, I know for sure, when you do get those. A hundred percent. I've got to hear all about Michael's amazing guitar collection, but before I ask him about that, I am joined today on the Now Here This Entertainment guest line from New York City by the frontman for indie rock band King Falcon, Michael Rubin, singer, songwriter, and guitar player. Visit the band's official website at kingfalconband.com. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. You've been hearing all about the new self-titled album. It's now available on CD or purchase it from the likes of Apple Music and other online digital music retailers. In addition, the album, as you just heard, will be released on vinyl on December 1st. Be sure to go into the shows section of kingfalconband.com for a list of where and when you can go see the band perform live. At the bottom of the band's website, you will see logos for their various social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, I know, X, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Meanwhile, what about the OWL app? I'm still waiting to hear from you folks. Call me through there to say that you listen to the show and or to ask me about podcasting and or to tap into my being a publicist. I've been going live quite a bit on there lately and do so with the hope that you'll connect with me and the many, many other experts on there. I saw someone who listed themselves on OWL for publishing, someone else who put theater as their specialty, another one for psychology, a person whose specialty is web services, another one that lists fitness, even one that says grant research. Wow. And the list goes on, by the way, with lots and lots of others. So what in the world are you waiting for? Try it out. Call me on there. Here's how to start. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere it says home, and then read the article I have posted there under the headline, Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away, to learn more about OWL. I've also got links in there for you to download the app for free from either the App Store or Google Play. Plus, you will see my invitation code, which is a required field as you're setting up the app on your phone. Get on OWL and start on your way to making great new connections for your career. Michael, I do want to hear about the guitar collection, but I can't ask you about that until we set this up properly first. So before we go into it, share with the audience first about you spending all kinds of time with a video game as a kid and then also who the inoculated canaries were. Oh man, we're digging deep. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the whole the whole reason I started playing guitar was because I used to play Guitar Hero, uh, no joke. And one day my dad came up to me and he was like, "How about you stop being a loser on on the game? And how about you? How about you go pick up a real guitar?" He's you know he's, he's that kind of guy. 
Uh, and that's that's the, the honest truth. I got a guitar, I think it was my 10th birthday. My, my grandpa got me a guitar, and I kind of never looked back. That's been pretty much it. So that was almost 15 years ago. I'm 24 now. And uh, I, I've now officially been playing guitar longer than I haven't. Hmm. And the inoculated Canaries? Yes. So the Canaries was... Uh, that was my first band, uh, and James and I were in that band together. But the funny thing is that James was the drummer originally. Uh, so it was a four-piece, and we put out a bunch of music, a little bit more of an experimental rock kind of thing, longer-form songs. But we started that band, I must have been about 12 years old, and I think James was 14 or 15. He was a little bit older. Uh, and when we first started King Falcon... Um, we were picking a name and King Falcon was like the second or third name that we came up with. And we thought it would be uh, a coincidence if our first band was the Canaries and our second band was Falcon mm. because, you know, we're older now and our songwriting is more mature and the sound is a little bit harder. So we kept the bird thing. And now I don't have any like particular affinity for birds. Like I'm not crazy about birds or anything. It just felt like the right thing to yeah. do. So King Falcon came early, and then we, we picked a whole bunch of other names, and at some point we were like, how about we just go back to that? But originally, James was the drummer for King Falcon. So on Shake, 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 and When the Party's Over, that's actually James playing drums mm. uh, and bass, and it's me playing guitar and singing. Tom, we had known for many years, because we, 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 we all teach music at School of Rock, uh, and he was a fellow teacher there, and he's been in uh, other great bands, and they've been on the road. And we were looking for a third member, but Tom plays drums. James said, screw it, I'll play bass. And that's how the trio was formed, just like that. You just mentioned teaching, but do I have this right? Did you attend the School of Rock? I did, yeah. So I, when I was a kid, when I was really young, um, that's kind of where I got my start. So I, again, I got my first electric guitar when I was like 9 or 10. I think I started at School of Rock about a year later, and I was there until I was like, 15, 16. So the Inoculated Canaries was my band when I was in School of Rock. Okay, so I got confused because you said there were four of you. For some reason, I had thought that you were a duo before you transformed into King Falcon because I know that y'all played at South by Southwest and the 2020 NAM show in Anaheim. So I was going to ask yeah. you, you know, so, what... So those, those shows... Uh, South by Southwest, we played as a trio because the fourth guy in the band couldn't make it. And then when we played uh, Nan, that was all four of us. Uh, but King Falcon is what originally started as a duo. Uh. Um, but, but the Canaries kind of had a... The Canaries really represents my whole um, learning songwriting and my whole musical history of getting to King Falcon. King Falcon is like, um, now we've graduated school and we know what we're doing, and we know how to make songs that are cool and not have too much excess, and the image is really cool, and, and like, we're, we're doing this really seriously. Like, the first Canaries record I wrote when I was, like, 12 years old. Hmm. You know, the songs are okay, I mean, for a 12-year-old, but they're they're not great. They're nowhere near <laughs> the stuff that we're doing now, I, I, as they, should, they shouldn't be exactly. 12 years ago. Yeah, but. you read my mind. <laughs> we talked earlier about the fact that the new album is on Mascot Records. Share with the audience about how the pandemic actually helped lead to your band being picked up by them. So I, I don't know if it helped lead, but it definitely gave us a crazy story. So I think we are probably one of the only bands in history where we signed a record deal and we recorded the whole album. And then after doing that, we met our first person from the label, shook their hand. Um, it was really crazy. Basically what happened is uh, Mascot, uh, we sent them the video for When the Party is Over before we, we released it. And we heard back from them immediately. It was a couple of days later, and they were really interested. And then from then, we kind of worked out all the details. But normally they, they come see a showcase of the band or they come to a live show, but nobody was doing that. And Mascot still had to sign somebody mm. and nobody knew how long COVID was going to go. So we signed and then we recorded the whole album and then we met in person, which was like such a backwards way of doing it. <laughs> well, as pandemic stories go, that's almost kind of not surprising because so many bizarre things happened during the quarantine that we almost shouldn't be surprised that it went the exact opposite of the way that it's supposed to have gone. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, honestly, um, I mean, COVID was 
really bad, obviously, for everybody. But I think we made the best of it because our plan originally was to start touring uh, with kind of our unfinished songs during that time. But instead, it gave us a chance to really go to the studio and focus on writing 50 songs first. You know, like um, of the 11 that made it on the album, uh, probably nine of them were written during that period. So, I mean, the Mm. whole album completely changed because of it. And it was definitely for the better because we just had so much more time to focus on it. it was all we did yeah yeah for sure wow wow okay so having heard all of this tell us now about that amazing guitar collection of yours what prompted you to start it as well as how many do you have and is there one that's your favorite oh man i have i have too many guitars frankly <laughs> i think at the moment i have somewhere around 50 mm. i've had more uh i sold a bunch and i, I sold a bunch to friends of mine um, but the, the, the way I started, so I, I've always been a collector of things. Like when I was a kid, I was one of the weirdest kids you would find. I had a whole bunch of Hot Wheels and by a whole bunch, I don't mean like 20 or 30. I had like two or 3000 Hot Wheels. Mm. Um, and I, I would just take them out and organize them and like clean them, you know, like I, I, I never played with them or launched them off stuff. Like I've always just been a collector of things. Uh, I was always into old cars. And then when I started playing guitar, um, there's kind of a crossover between people who are into vintage cars and into vintage guitars. Uh, it's not quite a, um, the same exact circle, but I think there's a huge amount of overlap. So it was pretty natural for me, but I never knew anything about them. Like I, I never had anybody teach me about, uh, which ones were real and which ones are like, which ones you should avoid. So I, I just went on this whole journey really for the last 10 years of, of going through as many guitars as I could find before I found a bunch that were keepers. But my favorite story um, is actually, it's it's one of the first vintage guitars that I ever saw, and it took me about 10 years to get it. Mm. Um, so my first ever, and this is, this is into your next question, which guitar is your favorite? At my first ever show that James and I played together, so again, I must have been 12 years old, just about James was a little older mm-hmm. it was in a church parking lot <laughs> uh, my grandpa got us the gig and it was for like a bunch of old people and I mean we're playing like Black Sabbath you know it was like not church music um, and, and we're I mean we're, we're killing it we're doing Floyd stuff whatever this old Italian guy comes up to me after the show right and he was like you guys are he had an accent he was like you guys are amazing you know um, and he, he said he had this old Fender Stratocaster and he asked if I would be interested in it. Uh, and I was like, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. I I'm 12. I don't have any money. I want to see this guitar anyway. We're going to go see next day. I go over with my mom, right? And he pulls out this beautiful 1957 Fender Stratocaster. Mm. It's been repainted, but I mean, a 57 Strat is a 57 Strat. Um, I played it for a little while. I fell in love. He asked for a couple thousand bucks which I was 12 years old, so I had maybe 300 bucks to my name that I got for Christmas. Like, I I didn't have any money to buy this guitar. So I had to let it go because I couldn't afford it. So I left, and it never left my mind. So for years, and and again, this guy was old. He must have been about 85 years old when, when I met him the first time. Nine years go by. We start King Falcon up. We're in the middle of COVID, and... I'm thinking about this guitar because I'm looking for a guitar to kind of do this whole King Falcon thing with. And I'm like, man, what are the odds that that guy's still alive? Very small. Cause he's old at this point. So mm-hmm. I, I say, screw it. I call him up one ring. He answers. I go, Hey man, I don't know if you remember me, but I met you 10 years ago and you wanted to sell me your guitar. He goes, yeah, of course I remember you. <laughs> and I was like, I still want to buy it. Do you still have it? He goes, yeah. And he gives me his address. I kid you not, guy lives a quarter mile away from my house. I walked there. Oh, my gosh. I walk over to his house. I go in. We spend about three hours together. He's telling me all about his history of playing music in Italy um, and just this, I mean, like everything about the guitar. Um, Really, really nice guy. He was in a polka band and all these cool things, have like a CD. At the end, I I left with the guitar. I paid him. And I go back home. A couple weeks go by. Uh, and my grandfather, so the same one who got us the gig, who I should add, uh, didn't go to the gig. He just got us the gig. <laughs> um, he, he comes over and he sees that guitar and he goes, wait a second. I know that guitar. He goes, how do you know Filippo? Filippo is the guy who sold me the guitar. Yeah. I was like, uh, I bought this guitar from him and I, cause I'd known him for, for 10 years. And he goes, oh my God. He's like, 
I was in a band with Filippo, and that's the guitar he played Whoa. back when we were in Italy together. Wow. And I was like, you're kidding me. This is crazy. Mm. Sad ending to the story a week after that was the first day of, uh, the, it was the very first King Falcon show, it was the day of. Uh, that morning, Filippo passed. Oh. Um, so, 10 years, he held on to that guitar, and it finally made its way to me, because it was just one of those, like, cosmic things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he kind of passed. Now, I mean, obviously really sad, but he, he was properly old. I think he was, like, 95 or something like uh, that. Gotcha. Uh, and I know he was really happy that now I have the guitar and it's being used again, because it was kind of his number one. Wow. And that's how it is with these things, you know? Like, every time... Um, you, you get a, a vintage guitar. Somebody's musical story is in that guitar. Every single scrape, every single dent is tied to a gig, is tied to a moment, is tied to a solo, is tied to a person. Like you, you can't replicate that any other way, and that's what makes them so special. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I want you to think of one more that you have that you can tell really, really fast. In the meantime, I want to tell the audience on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net, on the show page for this episode, for Michael's interview, I'm going to put a link to episode 196, which was way back when I interviewed drummer Chad Cromwell. He has played with everybody. He's played with Kenny Chesney. He's played with Neil Young. He's played with Mark Knopfler, Jackson Brown, Peter Frampton, the list goes on. But go back and listen to episode 196 because he tells a really cool story that Michael just made me think of, of the first ever drum set that Chad had and... You're going to, I don't want to spoil it. So just go back and listen and you'll get the relevance of why I'm sending you back to that one. But just so that we can move on, Michael, just give us one more quick, because I want the audience to understand that this isn't a guitar collection in the sense of like, oh, he bought himself another new guitar. Maybe he'll use it on tour. No, this is like collecting vintage guitars. So just one other one and then we'll move on. Yeah. So I have a, a, a 1963 Fender Jazzmaster, but it's custom color Sonic Blue. It's 100% original. Uh, I got that from the wife of the original owner. It was in a storage unit for the past 25 years, just about. And mm. uh, I was the first person to play it since then. Uh, another rare one, I know you said one, but uh, the rarest guitar in my collection is a 1965 non-reverse Firebird 5, uh, but as far as I understand, it is the only one ever painted in Kerry Green. One mm. of one. Now, I have to imagine that this is a collection in the sense that, at most, you might take it out in your house and play it, but you're not going to bring it out on the road for insurance and security and safety reasons, am I right? I mean, it, you know, it depends on the guitar. I will say every single one of them goes to the studio and puts in hard work at the studio. So none of them just sit here. Um, but uh, some of them are too fragile to, you know, be in a hot van for nine hours. So ah, it depends. Okay. okay. This interview is being released on November 1st. So with only two months left in the year, I have to ask, what does 2024 look like for King Falcon? Well, I don't want to give too much away, but we're uh, we're looking at Europe. So that would be a whole lot of fun if we uh, if we can finalize that. Oh, my. Wow. Wow. But with regards to your having said before that the songs that got put to the side that didn't end up on this album, those might see the light of day. Is there a chance that there could be such a release in 2024? Or right now you're just focusing on the album that just came out? Right now we're focusing on this album, uh, but we would like to get an album out as soon as possible. And I will say... We have been writing stuff, so we do have stuff that we're working on. Um, but again, we've got to give this album a minute to, to kind of do its thing and for people to digest us. But we'll be, we'll be out with it a second one soon enough. Don't you worry. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, one thing that we did not talk about is songwriting. And you said we're writing more stuff. So when it comes to King Falcon original music, it sounds like it's not just you that's doing the writing. Is it both of your bandmates write? And, and if so, is it pretty collaborative or is it... Well, I do the lyrics and the other guys do the melodies, or is it vice versa? How does the songwriting happen for King Falcon? It's very collaborative. So I will say, again, being the lead guitarist and being the, the voice, being the lead singer, I usually steer the ship. Uh, however, it's really, it's really a team effort. Like, I'll bring in a song that I think is 60% finished, uh, and I think many bands will just go and work on the last 40%. But in our band, we'll go back and work on the first 10 and then the other 50 changes, and then we do the 40%. So I'll bring in an idea, and that kind of sparks Tom to go on something, uh, and then James has an idea, and then we'll either you know roll with it 
or uh, we'll end up with something completely different. You know, I will say in, in the entirety of the King Falcon record, the only song that I would say I kind of really spearheaded 95% of was Cadillac. Uh, and that was because I spent, during the beginning of COVID, I spent three weeks in front of my computer only working on that song and nothing else. I mean, I didn't even go outside and see the light of day. Like, it was just working on Cadillac. So that one is very personal for me. It's one of my favorites because of just how much time I spent obsessing over every detail <laughs> on it. Um, but every other song, I mean, even the other 39 that didn't make the record were super collaborative. Uh, and sometimes we'll we'll work with, uh, like, there's a couple songs that we wrote together with Marshall where he was kind of in the room with us. Um, there was a, a couple of songs that we wrote with other writers. Again, not they wrote a song for us, but we kind of came and um, just wrote a song all together in the room, bouncing ideas off of each other. And that's how we like to do it. I love the story about Cadillac, though, because I'm picturing you being just so, so married to that song that you're pointing out a chord progression in there. And the other guys are like, yeah, it sounds good. No, but listen to it again. Listen to the look, what a great choice. That Was it not? And they're going, yeah, man, it sounds fine. They're like, you don't get it. <laughs> Yes. So I, I will say my uh, my girlfriend was staying with me for that time that, uh, again, during the beginning of COVID, but during the time that I was working on uh, Cadillac. And um, she was working in a different room from me. So the only thing you could hear in that room was the bass part. So she heard for three weeks, eight hours a day, all day. And even now, she's like, I never want to hear that song again. <laughs> That's the song that she goes to the bathroom during when you're playing it live. <laughs> yeah, it, it, no joke, 100%. <laughs> Coming to the show tonight? Of course I am, but just so you know. And then you finish her sentence. I know, I know, you're going to the ladies' room during Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to close today with another song from King Falcon's new self-titled album, a track called Everybody's Down. Michael, before I let you go and I play that song, share with the audience first all about this one, if you would, please. Sure. So Everybody's Down is the song that I think really encapsulates the meaning of the album best. Um, Everybody's Down is about doing something that you believe in as hard as you can, no matter what anybody else says. You know, it's about growing up the weird kid who is a little bit different than everybody else, but finally finding your stride. And that's something that all of us in the band have experienced. And it's something that I think a lot of people have experienced. So my hope is just that if you listen to it and you find yourself somewhere within the song that you feel some type of way about that. And do I recall, did you say earlier on in this interview that there's a video coming for everybody's down? Yes, sir. It's already out. It's live. It, it came out with the record. Well, Michael, congratulations on the album. All the best with the promotion of it, the tour for it. And we're going to be excited to see what does come in 2024. It sounds like there's more great things on the horizon for King Falcon. Really excited about it. Bruce, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player Michael Rubin, the frontman for indie rock band King Falcon. As I mentioned earlier on my podcast website, nhte.net, I'm going to put a link to their official website, kingfalconband.com. Again, their self-titled album was just released this past Friday, October 27th, and is available in CD format or from Apple Music and other online digital music retailers. Remember that as of December 1st, the album will also be available on vinyl. White vinyl, Michael would have me say. <laughs> Do be sure to check out the shows section of kingfalconband.com for details on the dates and locations of all the live shows that they are playing. In addition, use the social media logos at the bottom of their website to link over to engage with the band on the likes of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Today, I followed the band on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I know they would appreciate you doing the same YouTube, subscribe to their channel, watch and like the videos there. For that matter, tell them you heard Michael, as well as the band's music, and now hear this entertainment. Of course, their music is streaming on Spotify, so do give them a follow on there too. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Michael and I. I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine and a half years without missing once. 
by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 507. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from King Falcon. This is the one Michael just talked about. It's called Everybody's Down. 